Today, Trevor Stamper of the Smoking Worm fame joins me to discuss why projects underperform. Today, we take my recent Kickstarter project, Fane of the Fly God, and use it as an example to discuss my missteps. While not a failure, Fane was a passion project that was on the positive side of breaking even. Like a wise man conveyed to me, Jeff, do you know which mistakes are the best ones to learn from? Someone else's. Thanks to all the supporters of this podcast. Your generous donations keep me from having to sell out to corporate sponsors like Nike, Johnson & Johnson, and Microsoft. I don't need millions of dollars every month. I just need a buck or two from the hearts of my listeners. Patreon is the bridge of love. Time to sit in on the confession seat and spill my guts. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Trevor. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, it's, it sounds, uh, we were talking earlier today, it sounds like it's been a busy week for for the both of us. Oh, it has. It, 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 I don't know many weeks that aren't busy, to be honest. <laughs> but but that's a, that's, that's a good thing to, it's a good place to be, to be honest. So. It is, it is. I've had the week off, so uh, off of regular work, so I've been doing all my, my uh, RPG work. <laughs> so no rest for the weary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, one of the things we were talking about uh, was uh, uh, Fane of the Fly God. Yes. And uh, which uh, which kickstarted, um, uh, got some some alternative plans uh, for this, um, you know, maybe in the future. Um, you've kind of looked it over. Um, it's been a, it, I mean, the, the, the project successfully funded, and I think I got about $6,000 in in funding for that. Uh, it was a break-even, I told you, it was a break-even project. I mean, my, you know, it was like like $1,500 in art costs and editing and uh, just all sorts of stuff went into this. Um, so in the end, it's, it's going to be a break-even. And uh, I think you and Zach kind of, kind of come to the question is, uh, surprised it didn't do better than it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't spoken with Zach, but. Uh, oh no, you haven't spoken with Zach, but yes, he was, he was similarly kind of flummoxed, uh, which I thought it did. It actually, it's actually, I was not expecting it to as, as it didn't surprise me. It didn't do, this is about where I expected Right, but other people who've got more experience expected it to be uh, a to actually have more of a reach. Well, I mean, so my perspective comes from looking at the product quickly. So I spent about an hour looking at it today, and there's a lot in there, right? I mean, this is yeah, this is not um, just an adventure module. It's not a um, it's not a random collection of creatures or spells or anything like this. This is a pretty it looks to me on, on initial pass, a pretty solidified concept that is uh, low setting specific, right? It's a location um, and, and, and everything that you can go to that has lots to explore. Um, it has lots to explore, you know, the city, which I, I thought was cleverly mapped out as a fly wing um, and, uh, and everything. You've got kind of some deities in there. You've got a dungeon levels and stuff, you know, the actual thing itself, which I, I'm assuming I didn't get the get the clear connection, but I'm assuming is subsurface to the city. Um, and then there's a whole host of kind of narrative material in the back that's uh, that's really meaty, right? So this is something 
if I was running a campaign and I wanted to run it using this type of material, I would sit down and flesh out that backend material and send players off to do things with that stuff as well. There's a lot there. I mean, you know. Yeah, so I think the thing is, and I think the reason why, you know, you bring this up uh, right before we went on, um, you kind of, this topic just kind of came up more as, as we just came on um, uh, just a few minutes ago, is I think there are a number of reasons why, and I think rather than just, it, it's not really just focusing on this particular book, but I think there's lessons maybe to be learned or questions to be asked that I think that are really probably pertinent to other people's projects as well. So it's not just a, you know, look at fame, but I think there's a number of things of like maybe ways of relooking at projects, launching projects, how you sell projects, um, expectations that I think are really kind of, you know, that they could be applicable, um, you know, for other people, for other projects too, and not just this particular case. Oh, I agree. And, and I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go if you've got a, kind of a balance sheet worked up so you know exactly you know you say you broke even but where your costs ran out at and stuff like this right i mean i noticed you had several co-authors good co-authors not 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 people i'd never heard of before um and so that's not cheap and and everything so there's there's a numerous set of costs there we also had two printing versions um which is something that i tend to shy away from if i can help it on a on a new project that's just my personal perspective, though. Um, do you think that cost you, you know, would you have had uh, more profit if you'd focused on one of those printing options? Okay, so that's a good question. So, uh, in fact, this all started because of, and I think it's a very good question. And I will think that I, up this point, was underselling uh, product in a way. So I was originally going to do this as paperback. Yep. I gave it to Zach Goins. He's like, he looked at it. He's like, I think this needs to be hardbound. Sure. But me, I'm thinking nobody's going to spend <laughs> X dollars because that's just the way I am. And so I thought, well, let's just price the hardback at a price. And then it was kind of more of a grand experiment to see how it would turn out. Now, the question is, there was, I, th I can't remember the ratio. I think it's two to one, two Two people bought hardbacks for every one that bought the paperback. Right. And so that doesn't sound too unfamiliar to me. I believe, and, and this may be apocrypha, but um, I believe that Wizards of the Coast discovered the same thing when they transitioned from third edition to 3.5. If you remember when, or maybe you don't remember, when third edition first came out, there were the three hardbacks, and then there were the splat books, these little sword and fist and stuff like this. Um, which were the basically they, they featured two classes in each splat book. They were each, I think, about 64 pages long. And um, they had them really, really reasonably priced. Um, in third edition or 3.5, those splat books went away and they were replaced by, by class specific or concept specific splat books that were hardback. And I think that the reason for that was, was my understanding is Watsi discovered hardback sell extraordinarily well compared to softbacks. There's something about a hardback, even though it's heavier, more cumbersome uh, and everything, and not necessarily better built as a product, right? As, as a physical product, but the fact that it's a hardback tends to attract more people and, and sell better, so. Yeah, and I think what I try to do is make this, because this is kind of an unusual thing, and it, it was a grand experiment. 
And I, all I was really hoping, I really was after spending all this time and energy, at least break even on, I wouldn't, there was no, I think I was willing to definitely, I was convinced to try the hardback, but I think I was also hedging my bets by, you know, having the soft cover as well. But I, the problem is, I don't know, this is what's hard, is the, so people want to know, it's it's just the cost of the book for printing. It's it's roughly, we'll say roughly $10 for the paper bound to go through Lulu. It's a little bit less, maybe eight eight fifty nine, But um, it's about $15 what I've priced at Mixum for the hardbound. And so there's definitely more margins in the, the hardback than there's the paper. Um, and I think that margin definitely helped me, the hardback, because I think if I didn't go with hardback, I think I would have lost money. So here's the question though, and this is something you cannot ask in Kickstarter, but you're going, are you working through BackerKit? Is that yes. what you're doing? So once you get to BackerKit, you can put some, you know, some question marketing questions in there and ask the softback people specifically, what prevented you from buying the hardback? Would you have purchased this as a hardback if a softback wasn't offered? And you can ask the reverse of that for the hardback people. What is it that attracted you to the hardback? What, you know, why would you have bought a softback if we hadn't offered a hardback? Those are some interesting things you could get into, right? Um, that you can no, do. I think that's very. I think that's valid. I think the other thing that was uh, a mistake um, is, is communication, because um, I've got another person. We've kind of been. I, I have another company helping me with the Kickstarter and the backer kit, and everything was flying fast and furious. But one thing that I noticed was an error was the soft cover price the cost of shipping uh, for, I think for Europe or for everybody else was much higher than it really is because he was assuming shipping directly from here where I'll be fulfilling through Lulu. And so that'll cut significantly down that. So it'd be interesting to see if any of the, if, if any of the PDF backers will convert to the paperback. Or upgrade to hardback. Well, the hardback I'm going to keep through Mixum. Yeah. So that one, and I'm also just going to do a limited run with that. Hmm. So these are all, I mean, these are all things that we have to tackle every time we come up with a project, right? Yes. You, you envision that project, you envision it one way, um, but there are, there are marketing realities and market force realities that can make your product wildly successful or really hinder it. And so, you know, this is the stuff, I don't, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. Or I wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning thinking about, you know, you know, thinking about what, how should I build this project? Um, not in Kickstarter, but but in physical reality, you know, what what should it look like, and everything. So, uh, I think they're all valid questions to ask, and I don't think there are any good answers one way or the other. And I think the other, I won't say problem. I think the, I think that it's kind of more universal in nature. I, in some ways, I wonder is if it didn't really hit real strongly with a particular like crowd, like I did, I did tie this in with their, they're using OSC, you know, um, is with OSC branding, but I don't know that it really kind of fits in with the OSC crowd as much as it would say another system. Well, sure. And so that, you know, so that's one of the things that we do, you know, when I think of a project, I always think of, you know, the visual presentation of that project and everything. You know, there's definitely, you know, there's fantasy, but there are subgenres within role-playing fantasy 
and and certain groups like OSE um, versus say you know uh, Labyrinth Lord versus say you know Dungeon Crawl Classics versus D and D Third Edition Second Edition First Edition all of those have different visual repartees you know and and style packages that you know I would look at Morkboard right I mean that, oh, that yeah. very tight stylistic thought pattern behind it that people try and mimic and stuff. Um, because if, you know, you know that they bought Morkborg in abundance, you're assuming they're looking for something of a similar vein with, when they bought Morkborg to buy your product. Um, and the same thing is true of like, you know, I've heard that said about fifth edition products. Fifth edition products are heavily co full color art, but a lot of it is rendered art. You know, it's, it's all digital full colored kind of art, not traditional paintings, right? You, you don't have a Larry Elmore painting on the right. fifth edition product. That's just not what you do. Right. So I convey. So I think in general, it didn't really have um, a solid home. Um, so maybe that's the problem is, is, you know, you're looking for, for that, you know, I mean, and then there are, there are products that transcend that, right? I think, you know, Ben Lawrence, when his, uh, when his zine went big uh, two um, zine quests ago, you know, that was just the right moment with the right product type. And he had enough backstock that people were like, I'm going to just go in all in on the whole deal. And that just generated a multiplicity of sales that I don't, I haven't, I haven't heard an interview where he was like, oh, I totally expected that. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is it seems like I'm trying to think is his wasn't tied to, I think wasn't tied to any system. No, it's system agnostic. And so that's another question is, does system agnostic do better than other things, right? And if you look at ZineQuest, there have been a lot of really small projects. Things are only 16 pages. Um, there's a DMs toolkit. I don't think it was called the DMs toolkit. Maybe it was. Maybe it was called the little black box toolkit or something like this. That was ZineQuest 3, I think, that did quite well. Uh, you know, he sold like 16,000 copies of this thing, and it only had 10 tables in it. It's only 16 pages. And, uh, and you know, and I was looking, you know, you go, 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 go type in the, the printing cost difference on 16,000 copies versus, say, 1,000 copies in Mixam versus right. black and white. And you'll be, a, you'll be stunned. <laughs> that, that, that is scale right there. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I think also the, it, it does seem like some of the quirky, I think the thing is what seems to me, at least, especially even going back to re-looking uh, at the bestiaries, I think that D&D &D has gotten away from kind of the, um, they, they take monsters from folklore, but they strip the folklore from the monsters. Yep. And, and I think in a lot of ways what Ben did and others have done, and even OSE is doing to a certain degree, is throwing it, making it less mystical, more, more like folklorish in a way in its, the way the monsters act in a presentation. And a lot of these other third parties are doing stuff that's kind of making things more, I don't want to say fairy tales and like the, you know, like the more modern fairy tales, but kind of almost like the old Germanic fairy tales or ones from Europe. So I think there's a lot of validity to that, right? I mean, I'm working on working on a holiday special 
Oh, really? I'm working on a holiday special. Yeah, I'm Chris Pratt in your holiday special. That's right. Yeah, I do. No, I'm working on a I'm working on a Tales from the Smoking Worm holiday special. We are, it was actually supposed to go to Kickstarter last year or this year, but it didn't. We didn't quite have it done, and so we shuffled uh, um, issues around, and it's going to go in the fall of next year. And um, I have I have several different kind of projects that are in there. But one of the ones that I'm working on is as a write-up about um, the, uh, there's this Welsh uh, wassailing um, concept called the Mary Louis, right? And and so this is a horse's head. You've probably seen this as a skull of a horse on uh, essentially on a uh, on a stick. And, and it's got a white sheet around him. And somebody walks around with the horse's head and goes to a door. And the idea is, is, is it, is that, the people who live in the house, you know, answer the door, but they 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 have to give reasons why the Mary Louise can't come in, whereas the Mary Louise has to give reasons why it should come in, and it's a rhyming battle, right? It's like a rap, it's like a rap off. So these are this, and this is a Welsh tradition where you have this rhyming battle back and forth, and whoever falters in their rhyme first loses. And so, and if, you know, if the Mary Louise comes in, it runs havoc through your house and drinks up all your beer and eats all your food. And, uh, and I'm assuming, you know, the, the underlying assumption is these are friends and they're hanging out and partying, right? but not necessarily. I was, I was doing some research on this concept. You know, there's Wikipedia pages and everything, which is good. First gloss over what is this concept about? But it seemed, it seemed deeper than what I was seeing. And I found, I found this book published in 1940 called The Ballad of the Mary Louise and Other Poems, Other Welsh Poems. And um, this thing is truly a ballad. It's like 15, 20 pages long, talking about the, uh, what the Mary Louise is about and, uh, and everything. And it is this Welsh tradition that happens on, on the very last day of the year. So it's a, it's a rite of passage. It's a, it's a liminal state between times. So there's a change. And, uh, and it recalls the dead and everything, and, and, and you're really calling back to your ancestors and everything, and the people who have died recently around you, and it's a way to commune back and forth with them. There's really interesting concepts in this ballad that are not presented on a Wikipedia page or any right. writer that you could find otherwise. And so, <clears throat> but that changes the tone of that concept, right? So as I'm statting this out and writing it up as, a, as an adversary uh, and trying to think about how you can pay homage to that and how you can make it seem to work correctly. Um, you know, there's a lot of thought that has to go into that. So that kind of folklore though, that's really powerful stuff and can be really, can be used really well. And what I find, you know, most important, this type of stuff happens all over the world. This is not just, um, you know, they're not just traditions that are Welsh and they're traditions that are Polish and Brazilian and, you know, everybody has these folklore concepts. And so they're kind of a communal discussion. Um, the Mary Louise happens to be like, a, called it a wassailing. And that is um, like people who wassail or people who walk around at Christmas. You've seen this before. You've probably had Christmas carolers come to your door at some point in your past. Um, or you've definitely seen movies about it, right? Where the Christmas carolers come to the door right. and they're caroling and that's wassailing, right? And so that's, that's coming and, and, and giving giving song tributes back and forth and stuff like this. It's actually not that different from trick-or-treating, you know, where someone knocks on the door and asks for a trick or a treat. And so these are, these are interesting concepts to play with. So. Well, that was even the, I think about the Princess Bride wasn't, was it, uh, who's the giant Feswick? Yeah. Feswick. They, were, 
while they're fighting, they were weren't they going back and forth and doing these rhymes? They were, right? Yeah. And so, um, so, and and it adds it adds layers to the concept of what's going on. And not only that, but it presents something that's different. You know, it's a different form of combat, quote unquote, right? Um, you know, you could see where that would be an interesting concept. How do you create a battle of rhymes? And what is the outcome if you fail when one side fails? Because you will eventually falter. But um, well, what you could do now we're thinking about this now we're, we're we'll, we'll try to pull it back here a little bit. But what you could do is you could provide the the rhyme for the GM. Yes. And but but choose a word list that they have to rhyme with that becomes increasingly difficult. You could do that, right? So you could start with a passage that is, here is how the wassailing begins. And by, by the, the Mary Louise have to do the first passage, you are setting the tone for the rhyming scheme and the rhyming words. And, and then, maybe for every one they get right, it lessens or increases something. Right, and so it could cost, like, I mean, if you fail, or, or, you know, I mean, you don't want it to be like, ah, oh, you falter and you just fail immediately. So it would be cool to use something like in, in Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is what I work in, maybe stamina or something, right? And so you kind of have a stamina pool and you're moving it up and down, or, you know, maybe there's a target number you have to hit. You know, are you forcing your players to come up with rhymes or do you just want them to try and rhyme and match that and give them a, dun uh, a well, target number. Well, maybe they have to get so many rhymes right in order to make one thing happen. But if they get above that, then maybe something positive happens. And maybe if they get past that, then all of a sudden they're the, the champion. They've succeeded right. and they get something even more in addition to. So you could, you, could, you could step that up and say there are kind of thresholds, right? Yeah. And, and as long as you come up with a, a passing rhyme, that's great. But if you come up with a great one or you know, if you're rolling dice, if you're giving a, I would probably create this, or I will probably create this as a, as a dual way to do it. You either approach your group and say, we're going to try a rhyming battle, and it's going to be rhyming based. Um, and if you're up to that, great. Or we can default to dice rolls that would represent this. And, and so you kind of want to give people choices because you don't want to force them down one path. Um, I once ran a, an adventure where I forced people to come up with um, and guess um puzzles right um you know what my brain is not even working uh, riddles and incredibly hard to do so especially on the fly you um, could, what you could do is you could here's another thing you could do you can give people a list of rhyming words to go with it but they have to come up with a way of structuring the sentence the response in a way that actually makes sense yeah Something like that. So, so, so those are cool things that you could do. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that creating creatures and using folklore concepts is a really worthwhile thing. The the uh, going back to the fan, I think the other probably problem is 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 you know, you know the marketing portion. You know, I I didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I kind of talked about. It. So really, the only people. I mean, I don't know what I would have. I wouldn't have done anything different, but, but I, you know, there's, there's, I could have done face. I thought about doing Facebook ads, but I didn't feel this particular product would, would have benefited from that as much as say like Gary's appendix may, because it's definitely more traditional tied to OSE. Um, 
Well, and you ran that Kickstarter directly. So you had, you had, you ran it, you ran Gary's appendix in August, correct? Yeah. And then you ran this in Fane of the Fly God in October. Yeah. Is that correct? So you hadn't handed over a product yet to the people you had just sold Gary's appendix to. So they were, they're a they're a, a questionable customer base at that point, right? They're like, well, are we really going to trust this guy to deliver two products simultaneously? Or you know, th- so if they had, if you had delivered Gary's appendix and handed it over, and they were rock solid on what you could do, you know, Fane might have might have done might have profited off of that list of people. Yeah, I think I did at that point. I'm trying to think. I I I think that could have. I don't think it did much. And I think I need to, what I need to do too is go through Packer Kit and, or Kickstarter and just see like how many people that bought into this are actually, well, they bought into stuff in the past. Right. Too. Cause so I don't know. Do that kind of analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Cause is, uh, is it like people that are following me or is it just random people that just showed up for, for the fame of Fly God? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it could also be a product that will benefit from word of mouth. Right, and so once you get your four or five hundred copies or whatever out there, um, you know it's a it, it, you know especially in the softback if you if you're only buying it from Lulu where scale doesn't matter and you can buy five or ten or twenty at a time, um, the only thing you have to worry about is print is shipping costs. Um, you know that's a product that you can continue to market. Um, you know going forward. Yeah, I think the other thing too is like you said, it's like word of mouth because I mean, you know, the other thing I never had an elevator pitch for this because I would bring it up and people would say, well, what's it about? And I was like, well, it's not really anything in particular. It's yeah. just kind of, it, I think the other thing is, is I, I, I never had a clear uh, definitive thesis statement, you know, for what it is I had. Well, and see, when I opened it and started looking at it, just skimming through it, like I said, I haven't read it in depth. Um, it's a tale of a city, right? Well, that's have, one thing. Yeah. And then, and then there, but then there's more to it. So you start out with, that's your elevator pitch. This is a tale of a city. Oh. It's a tale of a city devoted to a fly god. And there's more there. If you, you know, so this is something your, your people could visit, you know, momentarily. And there's, and there's, you know, f- you know, cool, unique things there or it's something they could look at in depth and there's a lot more narration to it. And on, on a product like that, you know, it seems to me you want to have something for players and something for judges. And you've got that, you have modified spells, you know, you have spells and stuff. um, And then you have monsters and things like this, and you have adversaries and big, bad adversaries and little adversaries. And, you know, there's a lot there. So, so this is something, you know, one of the things one of the things I don't have to worry about when I market Tales from the Smoking Worm is some articles are for judges and some articles are for players. That's just the way of it. And it's it's kind of a smorgasbord. You never know what you're going to get in an, in an issue, but you're going to get something for players. You're going to get something from articles. That was the great thing about Dragon Magazine, right? You right. could pick up an issue of Dragon, and there was always something on an archer class or something like that. But then there were things on, you know, let's talk about the ecology of the Dracolite and stuff like that. So that appeals to two different groups. Um, and everything, and I think I think that's the back half of your elevator pitch. 
This right. is about this is a story about a city, and it has advantages for players, and it has advantages for judges. So there's a reason why a judge wants to buy it, and there's a reason why a player wants to buy it. Yeah, and I think that is true. And I think probably the other products I do, I do have a much clearer pitch for those. Um, it's just I think I think that I think the good thing for anybody listening. I got that's from Artie Dogs. A second, hey, don't do that. That's okay. My cat's been scratching at the door here for about ten minutes. So, <laughs> so I think that I think the the well, a lesson I've learned is I sh and I should have is is had you know that definition laid out and communicated it properly over the entire time. Certainly, I mean you you built it and you've had it and you're you've been working on it for over a year, if I remember correctly. Yes. So so you know at some level you knew what the project was about. Um, and, you know, yeah. And it, it's a good lesson to learn, you know, when you do a project, that's not just a grab bag, you know, magazine type format, you need to be able to explain what that project's about. Right. And if you can't explain it. And so this is something I have problems with too, especially when I'm working on physical aspects of a, when I'm, when I'm pushing the boundaries of what should go in a product and everything. Um, let me give you an example. So hangman's garden. I released Hangman's Garden uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's had a lot of positive reviews and everything. I'm really happy with how it's been reviewed. Dieter Zimmerman, who wrote it, is getting a lot of accolades. And my understanding is, is he's maybe got a couple of cool uh, adventures he's writing for other people now because, you know, he's gotten more attention. And that's wonderful. And people love the art. You know, um, <laughs> was on, uh, he was on a Scrivener with me. And Nick Barron uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, he absolutely, you know, gave me some really nice feedback on Hangman's Garden. So it's been really well received. And in the back, um, it has it has a little folder that holds some cards, and the and then it's got um it's got a foldover sheet that holds bigger cards. There's two folders in this, and um, I watched a YouTube review of it uh, a couple weeks ago. Came out, I guess maybe about ten days ago now, and. Um, you know, the gentleman reviewed it and he had really nice things to say about it and the layout and everything. And he was really appreciative of some of the, some of the quality on it, you know, the, the qualities I'd put into it, but he had no idea what that sleeve in the back of the, in the back of the book was for. And, and that, I was just like, it just broke my heart, you know, right. <laughs> you know? because it's like, you, you know, I, somehow I failed to communicate to this individual what this pro, you know, what this part of the product was about. And, um, and so, so that's a, right. That's a, because in your whole mind, you, cause you're the one making it, it's glaringly obvious. Right. And I even put out a video that I sent to all the backers and that we put on Goodman games website. I think it's on their website that shows you how to use the pocket to get the book, to get the cards into the pocket and everything, how to relax it first time. It's kind of like a, this is how you break in a hardback book, right? Type yeah. of a little video. It's only like three minutes long and it just shows you how to do that. And I'm like, so this is a guy who missed every, I almost wanted to post in his comment section, here's the video you should watch to help you understand what this back part of the book that you didn't understand was about. Um, so, but, uh, but I didn't do that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, communication, clarity of communication is really important in all these projects, whether it's a concept, uh, you know, the writing concepts that you're working on, or it's the execution of the physical product. So, yeah, and I also don't know if you know the timing uh, affected 
sales too or backing you know, being in October, I'm not sure. I've seen a real slump personally. I've, I, I've seen a lot of Kickstarter products, projects that I thought would do better than they did in the last half of the year. So past the well, last five months of the year, basically after Gen Con, most of the Kickstarters I've seen, I've been surprised at that they are much lower than I thought they would be. Yeah, I mean, it could be, there could be a lot of reasons really for that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I think there's still the the huge Kickstarters that are are still making uh, the money, but but boy, was it ZineQuest? I forget the number. The during the pandemic was at three. That one just went like crazy. crazy. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know that's going to happen. I mean, I, I mean, for me, the fact that I was able to put out a, a nobody to put out an obscure. Uh, obscure product that really wasn't tied to any sort of uh, property and actually, you know, have, you know, I, I can't remember how many backers, maybe say a total of like 150, 200 backers. It's like insane. Like, I don't know that could ever happen again. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, and, and I don't know if, if we're going to see Zine Quest 2 and 3 as the highlight is that the height of Zine Quest? Zine Quest Four was underperformed, and we and clearly Kickstarter realized it because they moved it back to February. Um, will February twenty twenty three, you know, bottle that magic again, and will we see really great products? Pro not not just products, but um, great sales of those projects, right? So the heights and the and the the amount of money influxed into the the Zine market. Um, or is it on the wane now in the general population? Yeah, it's really, um, and that'd be interesting. So I'll also be interested to see with with Gary's appendix too, because I was very surprised. I mean, I was very happy with the with the results, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, will that continue on? I'm hoping. I guess with your tales of the, the smoking worm. Do you see a growth with each uh, the number of people backing it with each Kickstarter, or how's that been for you? Yes, yeah, it's um. Uh, there's a growth curve in terms of uh, final Kickstarter profits, right? Not sales, but profits. Um, and so, and then, and then most of that gets reinvested into other parts of Smoking Worm, but on a on a issue by issue profit margin basis, profits have gone up. And then, um, and then sales have gone up in terms of individual backers, and so um, yeah, so I've definitely seen that. And one of the things that I had set in my sights to do was to create a convincing strategy to shift my PDF backers to physical backers, um, purely because I always thought that my that my products are best experience in a physical format. Uh, from a sales point of view, I'm not leaving much money on the table if I just have Z if I just have PDF backers, right? Uh, those backers are actually, you know, they're like kind of like printing free money because I'm going to create the PDF anyway. If I sell a thousand of them, you know, it's it's just the same as if I sold 500 of them. It, there's no extra work on my part or or cost. Um, whereas there is an additional cost if I sold a thousand physical copies versus 500, which I'm not even there yet. So, um, 
So I, I tried this idea. The last two Kickstarters I've run, I have had first 24-hour specials. Um, and the price doesn't change on the individual uh, support levels, but I have given out a freebie that you then have to, you could still get even if you missed it, because I don't want that feel-bad feeling. Um, I don't want to see some guy or, or girl who jumps on at hour 36 and is like, oh, I really wanted the freebie, but now I can't have it. Um, so I offer it for sale after the first 24 hours, but, um, but I give it away in the first 24 hours. And so uh, I've done patches. I did that for Hangman's Garden, and I did that for Tales from the Smoking Worm now. And, um, and I saw my first 24-hour sales triple. Well, because I think what you're doing is you're taking those people who are going to anyway, mm-hmm. and you move them forward. Because you're like, I'm going to get this anyway. I want the patch. Yeah. And then, then you're also driving the, the, the algorithm juice um, because Kickstarter likes to see a strong start. And if they see a strong start, they will be more likely to promote it. So that's that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't feel that that's I don't feel that there's any injustice or deception there on my part. No, right? I'm giving something away in the first 24 hours, the first 24 hour backers, so they're getting something. Um, most of them, and and you're right. I mean, the names are familiar, right? I look at those names, I'm like, oh, I know that person, I know that person, I know that person. I don't actually know them, but I know their address because I've shipped to it before. <laughs> um, so I recognize the names, and those are the people who are jumping on in the first 24 hours. And those are actually the repeat customers that you want to reward anyway. And so, um, you know, giving those rewards, I think, is a great thing. And, um, and then being assured, having the clarity to understand that everything is going to back and it's going to back at the level you need it to to pay the bills in the first 24 hours means that I can have very flat days and it's not as stressful you know, after in the middle of the run, right? Because right. I know I've already gotten to where I had to get to, to, uh, to make everything, to make all the numbers work. And so, um, so there's, um, there's a sense of security at that point. And so that feels, as a matter of fact, it, me, it meant for me the last couple of Kickstarters that in the very middle of the campaign, I could almost ignore it for six or seven hours and not think about it too much. Um, uh, and and not get anxious. So I don't know about you. I, I think you've talked about anxiety, the anxiety of Kickstarter timelines before. Yeah, it is. I think what happened was I think I think I went the full month with Gary's appendix, and it it worked out perfect because it it kept it was I had because I think the I think the um, buying amount was so low, and you know. The you know the PDF was cheap. The the zine was regularly priced, but I think it, we're talking like a fifteen dollar or fourteen dollar product rather than a twenty eight dollar product or a forty five dollar product. That it it continually dribbled in. Where fain I went too long, and there was that that a good solid week of <laughs> just like <laughs> just nothing happening. Yeah. It's like, yeah, and what I saw so on a, on a, the smoking worm, the last issue I did, normally I would see the first twenty four hours to forty eight hours gives me a third of all sales. The next twenty days gives me a third of all sales, and the last twenty four hours gives me kind of a third of all sales. And there's a little bit of overlap there at the very end, but 
that's kind of the general trend, right? And so I would have a steep beginning, a nice gradual curve, and then a nice little tail off at the very end. Um, and it may not even be much of a tail off. If you've got a decent curve going, it's all, it's all good. And, um, and I see a distinctly different profile when I offer something like a patch in the first 24 hours. I see a massive start, and then I see a much shallower curve that continues to trend line up the entire time, um, even with it's got a daily dip sometimes, but the trend line goes up. And, um, and it's a little more shallow. And so it's, but you've already made most of your money, right? And so at that point, I'm not sitting there we in the middle of the run going, gosh, I really could use another $2,000 in sales. Is that going to happen? We knew that was going to happen because it happened in the first 24 hours. Right. Yeah, it's just, it is, you know, it is, it's definitely gratify, gratifying to see, you know, that, that upward, even if it, it's more flattened, where you're seeing 100, 200, you know, a day. It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's, do I can't keep this going on forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but boy, when it dips down, it goes in the negatives, you know, or like the number stays the same, but then the amount goes down. And you're like, what? And you're like, oh, the backer yeah. who backed at the high level dropped out. The person who bought the PDF jumped in. And you're like, well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think, um, you know, so I were, this was my seventh, I think it was my seventh Kickstarter, uh, the last one I did which was for the DCC character folio. And um, I, think, I think running multiple Kickstarters and having a sense of confidence in what those Kickstarters look like and how they perform helps too. And it helps right. with that feeling of crushing defeat when you've got people just dropping continuously. It's, it's not as unsettling. And so, cause you get some experience with that. And I, I always look at it, I look at it and it makes me, you know, makes me sad. I see my numbers go down a little bit or dip dip down, but I know that they're probably going to come up. And more importantly, I know that those people who usually make those decisions, they're not usually capricious decisions. They're usually, you know, they've bought into the product. If they were going to, if they were, if they had buyer's regret, that usually happens in like the first 10 minutes after they've hit the support button. Yeah. You know, usually there's something that's happened in their life where they're like, I suddenly need that money to pay for a new refrigerator. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, it's like, you know, they considered enough to buy it. We don't know what's going on in people's lives. And even later yeah. on, they're like, you know what? Maybe I really just don't need one more product this month. Yeah. Yeah. I get them. In fact, I forgot about one guy uh, who I actually <laughs> went up trading zines, but he he, he, um, he was stating that because uh, I he was worried about buying the zine during while it was going on. So, well, it, it's always going to be available. Like if it's between this and another zine, just go ahead and support somebody else for now. You can always pick this up later. It's like, you know, it, it, it it's just a, what we're, what we're presenting isn't life and death. It isn't, it, it's just, it's just gaming material. Right. I mean, it's not like, it's not like insulin or, or, uh, yeah. you know, it's like in the end, it's like, you know, we, we all have choices. We all have things. We all, we all have to weigh our decisions and it's, it's not that big a deal. And, you know, and for people to, to buy in and then drop out, I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, it's, yep. I get, I get caught up and I'll tell you what, I am very much a, uh, in a moment um, uh, type person to buy things. So um, I can understand people have regrets later after hitting the button. 
Absolutely. And there, and there are always products that I've supported that I get them and I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be, or it doesn't quite live up to it. Right. And so, so sometimes, you know, you, like I said, you have no idea what's happened. So maybe somebody's just gotten like four or five of those in the mail and they just need to take a break from Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, My wife no. found out. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, there have been many, there's a reason why they have the little word super backer after my name. Yeah. I've definitely put the money right back into Kickstarter. Um, and, and everything, you know, that's, that's, that's a thing. Um, but, and most people I know who create products on Kickstarter are pretty similar. They buy a lot of products off of Kickstarter. So, yeah, it's, um, and, and I, I've heard people who have stated their, their uh, hesitation to buy uh, stuff off of people who haven't backed a number of projects, maybe not being super backers, but you know, if you see somebody that's only backed like zero or one or two and they're offering a product, you're like, do they really understand? <laughs> do they get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where somebody's got a bunch of they've bought, you're like, okay, they understand what a what Kickstarter's about, what the expectations are. And maybe maybe they're no less likely to to be um it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more trustworthy or more capable, but I think in our minds it, it does tend to it, it does tend to um we tend to favor people that looks like they've had you know a, more of a the buying kind of equates to experience in a way, which may or not be a valid reason for buying or not buying from somebody, but yeah, um you know i I, I agree with you i think I think I think i i I sometimes look at people's numbers and I'm like, hmm, you know, especially if I'm on the fence on a product. If I'm on the fence right. on a product and I'm not sure if this person's going to be able to deliver what they tell me they're delivering, um, if they don't have much experience with Kickstarter as a buyer, um, that usually is a warning sign to me that they may not understand what they need to deliver as a seller, right? So as somebody who is a, is a creative force on, on Kickstarter. and um, you know, if you haven't been through some of the downs, um, you know, some of the bad projects that have hit Kickstarter, and I've been through a couple of them, um, like Doom, Doom that came to Atlantic City and stuff like this, um, you know, there have been some really bad projects on Kickstarter that just went south in a big way and um, with taking a lot of money with them. So, um, yeah. That 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 kind of experience is is a desirable if I'm on the fence. Yes, it is. I want someone who knows what it's like <laughs> to sit there and go, "What just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> There's a fellow who just uh, a delightful fellow who uh, just sent out this huge apology. He he hasn't delivered for two years. Um, it was ten dollars for. It was from ZineQuest Three. It was ten dollars for a PDF and a and a in uh, a physical copy. And he, with that, he gave PDFs for his previous two works. But he's he's still way behind. Is feeling bad. But I looked at the comments. Most people are like, either just forget about it, ten bucks, or like, you know, we'll just wait. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> like, and I, I think there's a certain amount of perspective where we kind of look at people, and I think there are people who get agitated and get angry, and but I think there's some of us that look like, you know what, this is a $10 Kickstarter. I've already gotten a certain amount of value. This person's trying. Yeah, but there's other times where it's like, you know, it's okay. We understand. 
Um, yep. But we also know that when we're doing our Kickstarter, we don't want to be that person either. Absolutely don't want to be that person. So <laughs> try my hardest to get all the orders right. And, you know, that's not, it's not guaranteed. Um, there was a, a, you know, a little, a little higher second, uh, you know, you know, Hangman's Garden really tested me. It, it was, it came at a time when I was fulfilling it months later than I thought I was, should be. And um, it was a harder project to bring all the pieces together than I thought it would be. And, um, and I got it done, but um, yeah, it's a, uh, those, those things happen. And, and it's like, ah, I don't want to be there again. Yeah. I, I pride myself of, of sending my projects out so far. Um, I, I want to, you know, I want to um, over deliver and, and uh, under promise. And I got the PDF out for Fane and I'm like, I should be good for, you know, how many months do I have left for the other two tiers? And they're both sent for December. Yeah. <laughs> so I set the one for December. And I think when we did the other two, we just copied over the dates. And I, there's no way my, if I would have ever intended to do that for December, but now I'm late. <laughs> it's like, it happens. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, constantly late on my projects too, by a month or two, usually it, something happens. Yeah. That's, that's why I was telling you when we talked earlier that my goal was to have all the writing for Tales from the Smoking Worm for the next year, four issues in the can by the end of this year. I am very, very close. So, so. what what really ups well it, what upset me was um, is so uh, so I fulfilled Gary's appendix worldwide through or non for the non U.S. backers. I fulfilled through Lulu. Right. And uh, and I didn't find a... To make a long story short, um, there's a better way of doing it, which I didn't realize. But I've been putting each individual backer in there for each one, new address. So when I went to go send the proof copy, uh, by the proof copy uh, for Fane, I was like, I ordered it, and then I was like on a Saturday. Then Monday, I was going out out my my car for lunch, um, and then all of a sudden, the thought hit me. I bet I just sent my, I bet I ordered that fan of the fly guy, and it's going to be shipped to somebody in England. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked, and I looked, and sure enough, it was going to go to this guy in England. And I'm like, I wrote to them. I'm like, hey, this is going to go to, you know, this is, and they're like, because it wasn't even processed yet. I know it takes about two weeks. We usually takes about a week and a half or so for them to process it and finally print it. I thought, you know, I've got, but I told, you know, that day, you know, so it was only a couple of days later. She's like, yeah, no problem. We'll cancel it and we'll put your new address. I'm like, she said, but the way we're doing it, we can't track it. And said, but also don't worry that when you, you'll receive confirmation that when it ships, but it'll show to the address that you're not, that we're not shipping it to <laughs> rather than your address. A couple weeks go by and it still hasn't arrived. <laughs> like, I, I knew I should order, I knew I should order extra proof copy. It's only like 20 bucks. I should have just done it then. And I just knew, I just knew that it went to this guy. I, I didn't. 
contact the guy. I just knew it went to England. And then they're like, well, it's Thanksgiving time. Give it another. By the time it all got said and done, I just lost like three weeks. Yep. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and one of the things that I've run into is it did not exist a year ago is backlogs on print runs. So my printers, like I risograph print for the first edition of Smoking Worm. Um, they did not used to have a backlog. If I, if I shipped the file on a Monday, they started proofing it or you know prepping it and everything and started printing on the Tuesday or Wednesday. And now they're like, okay, so we're booked three weeks out. We're booked a month out. So um, printers are really booking up and, and having, and so they're getting, they're getting a backlog built. Um, I think that's kind of pre-2019 uh, normalcy returning and, uh, and everything. So, and I think Mixam, I've noticed, has got a little bit longer return time. So, so those things are happening, which is Oh, fun. yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the thing, too, is just there's so many things that can foul you up that you don't even see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, um, especially with one man operations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest, you know. Uh, with one man operations or or whatnot, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of moving parts, and sometimes you make a mistake, and sometimes and, mistakes are made. <laughs> sometimes they're made. It happens. So uh, so you just got to keep you got to keep moving forward with a positive face and say, you know what, I can fix that. So. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's like it's it's not a fundamental, but it definitely. I mean, when I put the wrong dates in, but now it really definitely you know threw me back where before. I was really trying to, what I was really wanting to do was to, um, initially was to get my, um, I was really wanting to get my, my printing done this year so that the, so that would, it would take away from the receipts mm -hmm. from the Kickstarter, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Pay something else. Yeah, well, exactly. I bought, bought a cricket. <laughs> Buy a cricket. Yeah. So you've been you've been playing with it. I saw you were making um, uh, um, stickers. How do you, how do you like the sticker paper? So the the sticker paper worked out fine. The first one I switched over to photo uh, black, and for some reason those those that black turned out very dull. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. And is that your Epson Epson printer? That yeah. You're... Yeah. So that is a high-end photo printer that you're using to make your stickers. Yeah. And it also came, the, somewhere the second time around, it came out with some, so what's weird is it opens up a dialog box, but it doesn't give me my full Epson dialog box. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. The second thing is when I did print with the printer black, it, uh, the uh, photo black, it, it also is banding. So something's going on. I need to go back and find out why I'm getting banding. That's really strange because those photo printers, like, I mean, it's something I have a, I have a, I have a Canon Image Pro 1000 sitting in a box that I've been, meet, I need to open and start working with next week. And, um, and one of the reasons why I bought it was, was the fact that it has, it has multiple sets of print heads and if, and it has a scanner so that as it prints, if it detects a band, a missing line or something, or an incorrect one, it will print it with the second or third print head set. Right. And so it will correct that in print in process because, because obviously those, that, that photo, I mean, you're more familiar with it than I am. The photo printer paper that you're using 
theoretically, is super expensive, up to, you know, $5, $10 a sheet. And to have it screwed up by your printer is kind of outrageous. Yeah, I think the other thing is it's, it's, it's printing it in some sort of express mode. So oh. I'm not sure. It's like it's going way too fast. So I need to go play around with the settings. I've been, so what I've been doing is I've been also playing around with Affinity Designer. Yep. And so I've I've started make tried making uh, I started with the Beowulf. Um, I, I still can't figure out how I want to do it. I did a, the the Traveler's got that the um, uh, Mayday Mayday. This is the Free Trader Beowulf. Right. So I was trying to do some sort of insignia. So I've been I've been playing around with Designer trying to get some of my chops with that so that I could try out some stickers. I also went through Mid Journey created some nonsense with Mid Journey. Uh, I did uh, woman with woman with radiation coming out of her head, and man with radiation coming out of his head, <laughs> and some odds and I, did, I took some flies too. So I've been I've been playing around with you know how to create the graphics in a way that you can you know print and then cut. Yeah. So I mean I I use my Cricut differently. Obviously, I use it to make the sleeves that I use, that I, that I then paste in my books and stuff that hold cards and everything. And um, I'm hoping next week to get to, I have a new sleeve that I have to make. It'll be four inches by six inches, and it'll go inside of a normal book and allow you to have like something that you take out completely. Um, so issue five of Tales from the Smoking Worm has a random dungeon generator for a monster that I created back and published back in issue three called the tentacular. And so this is the tentacular nest. It's kind of like a little, um, um, it's, 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 it, think of it as a, um, gosh, what I'm the, the word is escaping me right now. Uh, like a grindhouse type of system where you basically get abducted and plunked in there and the adult tentacular drops in, parties so that they can be hunted by its offspring through the maze, uh, through the tentacular nest, which is a maze. And, uh, and so there's different things you can encounter and stuff. Well, this allows you to randomly generate one of those. And it's a, it's a, you know, it'll, it'll generate a unique nest every single time, right? If you just follow the numbers and, and roll the dice. And so um, I had a, I have a nest example that I made and I ran out of pages in my zine to put it in. And so I was like, what I'll do is I'll make a pocket and then I'll, I'll slide it in almost like a little mini GM screen. So it'll be, it'll be six inches tall or just under six inches tall and like 12 inches or 15 inches wide. It'll fold in like a gatefold and then slide into this. And then you can pull it out and run an entire, probably two or three night session off of this piece of paper. So it's like a little mini dungeon. Oh, that's cool. And so, so I, I, I need to start building those and getting them built next week so i bought some uh the, the problem with the stickers too is if you do the print and uh, cut stickers uh -huh. it, it does not utilize the full sheet you end up losing about a third of that sheet it doesn't utilize yeah. the whole thing yeah and that's just by nature but if you cut out vinyl i think it uses the full sheet but you, of course you can't you're not printing on it so i for fane I've, i bought uh some black boxes some really nice black boxes mm-hmm and it all folds together. Um, and this will be for the hardcovers, but I just need like a sticky, uh, um, like a tab to to keep to hold it shut. 
So I'm thinking about using some vinyl uh, and cutting some sort of shape for that little plastic sticky to hold the the flap down. Okay. So there's only like one flap that needs like a, usually you just you would see like if you were to if you were to do it normally it'd be a circle adhesive clear plastic adhesive that you you'd put to hold it shut. Right. So I'm thinking about with the red, so I got a black box. I've got some red vinyl. I've got a stamp, an, a rubber stamp that's in the shape of a fly that's about like three and a half inches tall. Cool. And I'm also thinking about maybe maybe doing some stenciling with those boxes too, and maybe some paint. I don't know. So did every hardback come with one of those? Uh, every every hardback is going to get the black box. I just need to figure out what to do with the black box. <laughs> Neat. That's 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 actually really cool. I saw that in Fane you had taken some um, scientific uh, photo uh, photographs and everything that are that are all fair use and modified them and stuff. Um, so you know there were there were some. So, cool so you recognize them, huh? <laughs> I, oh yeah, I, I, you know it's hard not to, right? So you've got this. Um, you got a picture of a fly. It's a photograph, clearly uh, a micrograph that's been taken of a fly. Um, I'm assuming that fly has probably come out of um, uh, it's come out of an alcohol solution because the legs are kind of oriented in a certain way that is very indicative of that of, of flies that have been dipped in alcohol and um, and stuff. Yeah, it, it all felt very very familiar. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was a last minute thing, and I've got some stickers made with some with some flies too. So. I'm not sure where it's ultimately going to go, but um, but anyway, I, the other thing I was thinking about is you know ways of using the uh, the cricket to make things that will be like kind of like not necessarily directly with what you're doing as far as uh, those types of physical things, but I thought you know I can make um, masks with them to like if I want to do spray paint or if I want to use vinyl to use it as a, as a seal create like a seal or yep. whatever it may be. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I just like how the tool itself is fairly simple to use, has a fairly simple interface, software interface, and then, um, you know, is fairly cost-effective at its tooling. So replacing micro, you know, scalpels and stuff like this, um, there are third parties that, that sell them quite cheaply. They don't last forever, so it's good that you can get like fifty at a time for twenty bucks, um, and everything. It's 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 pretty cost effective. I, I like it as a product, and it opens up a, it opens up an entire area of design work, physical design work, that would be very expensive to do otherwise. So, what I was hoping was that the box would fit in the cricket, and then I could do some debossing. Oh, that would be cool. But it, it won't. It's too big. <laughs> yeah. So um so does the box come flat and you and you pop it together or is Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. And so you can actually make those boxes even on your cricket if you have the if you have large enough stock. If it fits Yeah, on. it's too big. It, it's just it's just too big. Sure. It's it, you know the it's so I so the box I went with had to be uh, so Fane is comic book size. I don't know what the 
Well, this is what I, I should know. I'm assuming that when I order the hardback, that the hardback, the interior pages are going to be the normal size and the hardback's going to extend past it a little bit. Should be a little bigger. Yeah, so it's an eight and a half by 11 is the interior where the fane is the the comic book size, which is the, what did I say, six and five eighths by 10 and a quarter. Yeah. So your hardback is bigger, huh? Well, I would assume so. I don't yes. know. That's either, kind of, either hardback, that's a neat idea. the cover has to be bigger or the or the interior has to be smaller. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it comes together. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, you know, trying to think the other thing was I went to mix them. I was hoping I could do a bunch of different add-ons to the book. I don't need to contact them, but my options like like ribbon or not ribbon or end papers and you know things like that but i don't have really there's really those options aren't available and i even tried going to more standard sizes and those options aren't available so i need to they said call for support to see so i need to figure out what's going on yeah yeah um i've talked to their you know customer support a couple times mixam is usually pretty responsive so i've had terrible luck in the past getting anybody to respond to me Getting them, getting them on the phone can be difficult. Yes, but once I get them on the phone, right, they, right, 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 right. Explain to me <laughs> what the problem is, how I screwed up. Yeah, so. it is. It's, I'm better. I mean, I really. Oh, the scoundrels! That was such a. So, I had an idea for doing a single zine, and then it just turned into too much. So then it became. And I thought, well, I will just maybe put it into a big one big book. And then I thought, well, for zine quests, I'll just they need to all be zines. So I broke them up into three zines. And so then when I would make mistakes, like through through Mixum, it would kick it out like a week later, say, Oh, there's a problem with this. And I had three different zines to go and fix those mistakes because they were global in nature. Yeah. <laughs> like setting text to uh, to uh, Rich Black. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, it, it can be a frustratingly long process to get things through approval um, with, with, with Mixim. I'm sure in the end, you know, it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor, but it sure would be nice if they would... Um, if you could talk to somebody sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And 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 I, I and I'm I'm much better about it now. Uh, I mean better about it. I, I don't make those same <laughs> the burnt hand teaches best. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so uh that being said, I, I don't necessarily make those same mistakes. And it's usually it, it's usually if the problem, it's usually the software catches it immediately and I I fix it or it's not a some stupid like that, but it can it can get kind of tricky. It's also tricky using different services. So, like if you if you, I've used like stuff both at Lulu and with Mixum, and so like you can use your the same PDF for the interior pages because if, if you, well, I take it back. So if you send something to Mixum, if you send a if you send a uh, a zine to Mixum, your your PDF can ha can come with a cover already on it. Yes. Not a problem. But if you send it to Lulu, the cover has to be separate. 
Hmm. Okay. I've never worked with Lulu before. If so. you, if you, uh, if you, um, if you also go to Perfect Bound on Mixum, you have to have your cover be separate from your interior. I'm assuming because they're going to print that as a separate thing, and it's not going to be a. It's going to be a print cover that's a separate job than printing the insides, and then they're going to glue that together, and it's a wraparound. Yes, and I think the other thing is you're also you're increasing. You got that spine. Yeah, and I think that's that starts to add up in space. Where if you don't have, you got you got to put that spine in there, otherwise your your cover's going to get wacky. So, but how that looks and also how the Lulu separate cover looks and they, they, they want them in two different I think one, you have to have four sides and the other one you have to have to have two sides. Hmm. I don't know, but it's, it's kind of weird. So it can start really messing with your head, trying to understand the, the yep. complexities of different services. So, um, I was going to use Lulu for. Uh, I was going to go. I was going to go with Mixum for the uh, for the Thane soft cover as well. But then the Lulu ones turned out really nice, and I just thought for the level of complexity that I'm creating, and then I could just direct ship from from um, Lulu. Lulu makes it very possible to just to ship internationally very easy easily. That's it. That's so. That's something I haven't looked into. I've. I uh, I did a little international shipping with my fourth issue of Smoking Worm, and then since then I have limited it to simply Canada. And I've had a couple people each Kickstarter jump on and message me specifically asking for, "Hey, I'm in like Sweden, can you ship to me?" And then I would go back and look up a custom price for them based on what they wanted and say it's going to be this much, and then they would accommodate that. Yeah, it's it's really if you do Lulu, um, because they've got different you know fulfillments, uh, printers in different countries. You can you can send it to UK anywhere in the UK for about five bucks. Canada is about eight or nine dollars. Um, most of the world is eight or nine dollars. Philippines and um, Japan that can that can run you about fifteen, and and then I think Australia is about. 10. And Lulu doesn't do saddle stitch anymore. Is that correct? No, they do do saddle. Uh, you're right. They don't do saddle. Uh, no, they do do saddle stitch. Yeah, yeah Lulu don't. does saddle stitch. Uh, one bookshelf doesn't. That's right. Okay. Maybe that's worth looking into because that is that is definitely a problem that I've been having. So. Yeah. And so that's where I'm also looking at for, you know, is, is an easier fulfillment. I mean, if I can also not have to um i think what i'm gonna always do is for uh the u.s backers yeah i don't know it it provides an option i mean sometimes it, it gets complexity with with you know inventory and you know different so I, I had two different tiers for gary's appendix i had u.s backers and i had non-u.s backers i had the the um for some reason, the U.S. backers, some people in the U.S., I don't know. I thought we had the gate set up, but we didn't. But they got into the other. It's like, it's like, stop it. <laughs> um, so, but you can with Lulu at that point is, um, you know, now I feel comfortable with setting shipping rates 
and just have one um just have one tier and then being able to uh some will be going through Lulu International and the ones that are um US I'll probably just uh, uh do those separately through Mixum. Sure. Hmm. That's interesting. That's worth it's worth looking into. I don't know. Yeah. I have to think about it some more. But yeah, I think with the perfect bound, I think Lulu does a great job. I think with these the the saddle stitch, I'm not a hundred percent sold on the Lulu. Just um it, it just came out a little odd. The, the, but I've not had any complaints from anybody I sent it to in the world. It's not like fifty-three copies. <clears throat> Nobody's complained about true, fifty-three. No, I think more than that. I don't know how many I sent worldwide, even though I've did it twice because of a mistake. I printed out a PDF, uploaded it. It was missing three pages in the back. Wow. I thought they made a mistake. I, I don't know how I did it. I do not know. I do not know. But uh, because of that, I had to, had to double ship all my foreign backers. Oh, that's painful. Yeah, it it was, but it 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 wasn't it wasn't horribly. I mean, it wasn't devastating. It was it was costly, but not like devastating. So, well, good. So we've come to the end of the year. Both of us are finishing up projects. Um, I, I mine are going to ship in January, and I've got two Kickstarters. You've got Fane that's still being resolved. Correct. And then, uh, and then you've got a. Do you have a project for Zine Quest, or you? What do you? When's your? So, what's, what's your twenty twenty three look like? Yeah, Gary's Appendix Two is all the writing. Well, that's not true. I've, Zach's done uh, just a tiny bit, but basically all the writing's done. Mm -hmm. Most all the artwork's done. I've commissioned the cover, so that really should be pretty much. It's going to copy editing right now, uh, so that should be. I should be ordered proof copies. I should have proof copies ordered or in hand by the time ZineQuest comes around. Nice. Nice. So that, that's a definite. So what are you... The, the, I got other projects we can talk about, but that's only definite for this year. So what have you got going for... Uh, do you have something going for ZineQuest? Hopefully. Hopefully. So my goal is... To, and it depends on how fast I can fulfill Tales from the Smoking Worm 5. So we, I got into a bad situation with an artist who, two people actually, two, an artist. And, and one of the things I did on, let's talk about the artist first. The first problem I had on, on Tales from the Smoking Worm issue five was I had an artist who got COVID, lived in a hurricane zone that had a hurricane, and then it had a whole bunch of family members who got sick. And, and so while they, you know, I was finishing the art, at, you know, the, to me, the, I always put a Kickstarter together with the idea that the bulk of the art is going to get paid for. I try and coincide the art uh, and everything and the Kickstarter so that I, so that those artists aren't waiting for a long period of time. Cause I don't have a big overhead that I can work with where I can just pay artists years in advance. Right. Um, like I used to. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a new operating issue now. So I'm trying to line up Kickstarters with artists. So artists are fulfilling their art while I'm in process on a Kickstarter or just after I finish it. I usually give it about a month. 
And so we had all the art, art assignments done for issue five. Um, this is an artist who's worked with me since issue one. They are very good. And I had the biggest, I had given them the biggest article in issue five, which ran about 15 pages. And it's, um, it's an organization that is a, uh, it's a, it's basically a, an organization based off of two-handed sword dueling. So think Zweihanders and great yeah. swords and stuff like this. They, they actually work more as a halberd uh, or a, or a polearm than a sword, although you can use them as a, as a long sword. Um, they're, they're not as flexible as the long sword in terms of what you can do with them. They have other advantages. And so I was working with somebody who, um, this, was a, this was an article that I co-wrote with somebody that came out by accident, actually. It was, a, it was a synergy. I hired a person to do some editing for me, and it turned out that she had a master's degree in medieval swords and, and medieval sword play and styles of sword fighting and stuff. And I was like, this is phenomenal. We got to talking. And I said, I've always wanted to do this kind of organization for, for my groups, and I'd like it to you know, be like this. And she was like, oh, I totally understand. We just had a synergy that we built, and we got this really great organization out of it. <laughs> we got it laid out. And I realized that I didn't have, uh, you know, I had space and I was like, it would be really cool because the society is based around dueling philosophies and everything. So you duel with other sword people. And um, I was like, what if it was like a running sword fight throughout the article with all these spaces? And we could do it comic book style, right? So you have borders and it looks just like comic book pages, but maybe you've only got like a couple frames on this page and a couple frames on the next page and everything. And sometimes I've got a full... I've got a full page or a page and a half of frames, and, and it gives you this flow through this article. It was something we were trying new, and it, it was really good, and, and, and I'm really happy with how it's come out. Let's start with that. <laughs> it came out great, right? But the artist got sick, and then he had a hurricane. It like, did a lot of damage to his house, and then his family members came, got sick. And so it was just pulling teeth to uh, for him to get finished because he had so many real world events kind of all happen at once and or successively you know it, we just lost months of time all the art everything was finished on the book except for this one run but i'm also at a point where i'm like i've seen the sketches they fit right everything i've got i've literally got sketches that are on pages in my layout i can see what this is going to look like and i don't want to hand it over to another artist i want this guy to finish it because We've, we've already invested a lot of time and effort, and the artist has invested a lot of time. Right. So we gave him the time to finish it, and I just explained that to my backers. I was like, look, this is a problem. It's unforeseen, right? I mean, people have real-world lives, and, and we support this person, and I don't—it's not like I've already paid—you know, he's gotten paid, but, you know, that isn't the issue, right? I mean, he'd give me the money back, if, or we'd come out work out a deal right. or something, but uh, I was like— I he's not like flaking. He's yeah, just... he's not flaking. He's he's got real problems. Yes. Right? <laughs> and and he didn't have real problems the, the three or four months before the Kickstarter. But when I line the way we were lining up art, it just coincided with when with hurricane season. Right. And so, so, so the lesson learned is don't line up art with hurricane season. <laughs> do not line your art up with hurricane season when you have people who live in the south. So now I'm gonna regionalize my artists and just stay away from hurricane season to them. No, and, and so, so I felt really bad, and he felt horrible, right? I mean, there was no 
happiness at all for months while we were trying to work this out. And then at the same time, so that's the first problem. The second problem is, is I offered a reward tier with a custom dice bag, handmade by a local artist that I had spent months working with. I, I have a prototype in the other room. And um, and it's great. It's got two compartments, which for Dungeon Crawl Classics is cool because there are these things called luck tokens. It's something I've been doing in my game or in my Kickstarters, but I was wrapping them up. And I was like, we could do a luck token bag where you'd have your dice on one side and your luck tokens on the other. And then, you know, you kind of randomly reach in and grab luck tokens. And one of the things that we were doing in the Smoking Worm was, was giving luck tokens a small percentage of luck tokens, special benefits that they normally couldn't do, right? Things that were not imagined for the luck token system for fleeting luck. And we had 20 of these. And as I finished up, I was like, oh, I'd really like to offer this, this option of, you know, one last universal luck token that's not special that you then dilute your pool with. And then the dice bag. I think the dice bag would be cool. And it's got presents, right? I mean, it's beefy. It's eight inches in diameter and 10 inches tall. And, you know, it's just, it's a really big dice bag. And, and like I said, it's compartmentalized. There's really two dice bags in there. And I had worked with a local woman who was great. She, she's a good seamstress. She had it. We had a prototype and we'd been working on it for six months. Right. And um, during this whole process, I knew she had it, some health problems, but they, and I saw her in August as the Kickstarter was ending, and she was fine. And then literally within two weeks, I get a text message from her husband. Um, and he's like, she's in the hospital. And it has been, she's been in the hospital every month since August for at least a week or two. You know, she gets out, and then she's right back in a week later. And these are like serious health emergencies, right? I mean, she's having a real crisis. Right. And... um and I, and I and I've got photos from her. You know, these 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 bags are half finished. They're they've all been cut out. All the fabric's been bought. Everything's been you know pieced together, and it's just ready for sewing. And she's in so much physical pain. She's like, I can't sew. And, um, and so I felt really bad about that. But again, you know, it's this is a local artist. This is somebody who's doing something by hand. I'm not like it's not like I'm picking up the phone and calling China and saying I need fifty bags, right? <laughs> That's not how that worked. And, uh, and so each one of these were handmade or will be handmade. And so her health emergencies have come to a boiling over point in the past month. But it sounds like talking to her that she'll be much better. They're, they're expecting her to finally recover and be able to do things in about two weeks. And so hopefully. Well, but that's, that's kind of the issue you've got is, you know, if she didn't buy the material yet, and nothing's really been done. You just say, you know what? I'm just going to refund everybody, and it's it we're good. But there's material that that she's purchased, and there's work that she's value add that she's applied to this. So this yeah. is you're you're like you're halfway there. I mean, it's like there's no taking that back. I mean, no. So so it would be a straight up. Um, you know, the dice bags were were fifty dollars, forty five or something like that, fifty bucks. It's a thousand dollars that I sent her right? For these dice bags. I'm not actually even making much money off of them. <laughs> that's that's the irony. <laughs> that wasn't the point, right? Yeah, right. The point was a celebration of this. I was going to end the tokens and I wanted to end them with a bang. And so issue five happened to be the issue where that happened. And like I said, she'd been doing very fine. She and I had been working on that project 
for eight months. We had been doing prototypes for eight months um, before the Kickstarter started. I was, and, and I have two prototypes here at the house that were the, the final approved, yes, this is exactly what I want it to look like. And I mean, so it wasn't like it was a short project. This is something I've been, I, I had envisioned the process. I had thought about it. It was well embedded into the Kickstarter concept. And I didn't expect to sell hundreds of them. I expected to sell about 20 to 50. I sold exactly what I expected. And, um, and it's a cool idea, right? I mean, it's so they're really, really cool. And uh, so I'm just going to, I, I told people, I'm like, she's sick. We're going to stick with her. She's done all, most of the work. We just needed to get to the point where she's healthy enough to finish the sewing. And then I'll, even if I have to mail them separate, right? I'll mail them out. And so issue five, I had, you know, issue, Hangman's Garden was slow for other reasons. Um, but issue five has been, it's like having two grueling nightmare projects at once. Um, and so I expected to be done with issue five in September. And if the art had been done on time, we would have printed in September. And instead it went to, it went to press a week ago. So but that's the one you're waiting on the dice bag. Well, we're still waiting on dice bag. So it worked out okay then. That worked out okay, but only for 20, you know, so I've only got 25 customers who are waiting on the dice bags. So it's at press. Oh, I see. It will right. ship. Um, I was waiting on the art for everybody, obviously. Oh, right, right. And so so, um, so there were two holdups. One of them is resolved completely, and, it's, and they look great. I mean, they really did come together as I wanted them to. And then, um, and, and so this, is, this, this project's going to be done. Issue six, fully written, half the art's already finished for it. You know, and, and so it's given me some time to, to work towards getting stuff done. Oh, so, I ha so if I can get five out on time, I'll go ahead and kickstart six in January. And then I have a, an, an agnostic, system agnostic project for Zine Quest. That is a project that is, I'll write it, I'll do the art myself. It's entirely, it's entirely in-house. And I've, I've been slowly working on it for about a year. And so it should be, well, I won't have a, I won't have a final product in hand, but it'll be very close to being finished by February. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's especially running multiple projects and it's, it's hard to kind of keep things spinning and going. And there's so many things that just seem to, uh, uh, come about that can derail you. Yeah. And you know, the problem is, is the derailing one project can sometimes bleed into another project. And so those are, those are real, real issues. Um, I certainly respect people who have run into problems and say, I'm going to stop everything and I'm going to do nothing until I've got this project finished. They have my respect. Um, you know, I ran another project in this, in November the DCC character folio um, series. And that is, was, has been done for a year. I've actually been play testing. I've been, I've been using the character folios for over a year and a half. I've had the art and everything finished for them. And I was just like, look, this project's just sitting here. I might as well just, it's all ready to print. And um, the only thing I did with that one that I thought was a lot of fun. And I got a lot of response from it was there was the main character folio, which is about a 16, to, it's about a 20 page booklet uh, for Dungeon Crawl Classics. That's huge. 
and then um, and then there's something called the legacy system in Dungeon Crawl Classics. This is a uh, an ability or a um, it's a way for people to go to conventions and take their characters from con to con to con to con. And it's very much similar to the RPGA system when you played like Living Greyhawk or Living Forgotten Realms in the past for third edition. Your character basically fills out a little a little notepad that says, "Hey, um, you know, I went, I I ran, I played in this module. Here's the judge's signature. It was at this day, and this is what happened to me, and I get this many XPs from it." And um, and so all the XPs are standardized across all the Goodman Games modules. This is all available online. And so I I was like, one of the cool things about this, I actually don't have one in here to show you. Um, I've got a whole bunch of them out in the other room, but. I envisioned the folios so that they could merge together. So you'd have a character booklet, you'd have the full, the legacy folio would go in and a band, a nylon band, like a hairband, would hold it together. And so those hairbands, I actually bought all the materials and have been assembling those from scratch <laughs> myself. Um, I have become very proficient with um, nylon band technology and, <laughs> and uh, something I never thought I would ever work with. But it's been kind of fun. And then, um, and then the last folio, because there were three little booklets, character booklets for this project, was the party ledger. And this is something that is a party character sheet um, that allows you to track items you've, reco you've recovered from a dungeon, your monetary, your money, your diamonds, and all that stuff, right? But then also hirelings you've hired as a group, um, you know, properties you may have taken over or purchased, and, and it allows you to keep notes there for those. And then it has. Um, it has a whole host of kind of party level um, logistics right. tables and everything and stuff. It's really system agnostic. But what I did was I said, look, I, I've got it done, but I found this little loophole in Mixam, which is where I'm printing this from, where the cost to print four pages, because they're not very long. These are just little booklets. The cost to print four pages is identical as the cost to print eight pages. <laughs> or eight pages is the same as the cost to print 12 pages. Yeah. It was a weird loophole within the Mixam system. And I was like, so I'm willing to do four more pages because it won't cost anymore. I'll build the tables and, um, and everything. And I opened it up to um, discussion on my, during, the, during the, the Kickstarter. And so I would post pictures of the, of the tables and I'd say, does this work? Or should we change it? And then, and then people would comment. And so I got, I got dozens of comments. It was really fun because lots of people had opinions. And then we would, I would summarize it all up and I would make an adjustment and I would post another update that was specifically, they were the party ledger updates. And that ledger update would be, here's the progress I've made, right? So here's the newly, re, here's the newly envisioned tables. What do we think? Did this solve those problems? And um, that came, you know, so I had this, and I knew it was contained, right? Because it's only four pages. How many more things could I come up with? Um, or players, how many things could they come up with? And so very quickly, we settled on what should go on there, and I got it worked out. And about halfway through the Kickstarter, that was pretty much finished. Um, and so that was kind of fun. So all those are getting printed right now, and, um, and I'm just waiting for them to come back. And then I'll, they'll ship right out. They're just simple stuff. So... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's um, it, it, and I think those those types of sheets too. It's and this is where a lot of times we're um, I know for some I guess I always wonder about scaling it to something like with Roll Twenty or to Foundry, 
because those would be areas that things like that would be very handy as well. Yeah, and so one of the things that I got was a whole bunch of kickback from backers on initial kickback because for the folios, I offered no PDFs. I'm like, this. I envision this as a physical project, right? It is a physical thing. If I were to do a digital character sheet, it would not look like a form-fillable PDF because, frankly, they're inferior to what you should be able to do with a digital thing, right? Uh, document tracker. I'm like, I would create like an app and let you track your stuff through an app, which would be much more user-friendly and much more friendly on a phone or an iPad or something like that. Um, and I've got friends who can do the programming for me. I, you know, maybe I, I said, maybe down the road, I'll do that. But, um, but that's not the, that's not what this project is about, right? This project is about the physical concept. Um, and I don't have much experience. Actually, I have zero experience effectively with Roll20 or the, um, whichever the other ones are. Boundary. Boundary. And then there's one more. I can't remember what it's called. And um, so, yeah, maybe that's being a Luddite, right? Well, there could be, but there's, I think there are DCC people in that or, uh, space that maybe you could leverage. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think it was telling because I only had, I only had 80 backers. It was a very small Kickstarter. I wasn't expecting it to be huge, right? Um, it's a very niche product. You know, this is somebody who wants to have character sheets and booklets and knows the Dungeon Crawl Classics does last more than one or two levels. And uh, characters, <laughs> characters can, it can, huh? It can. Um, you know, I've been running a campaign now for four years. And, and, and really, it's two campaigns. We run, uh, we run just a regular DCC type thing um, based out of, here's the little map. This is the map from uh, DCC, I think it's 67 and a half. Uh, uh, the, the Doom of, um, gosh, I can't, I can't remember what it was, something Doom. Um, and this is the little village of Hero. And so my players basically found that little village, Doom of the Savage Kings. My, my players found, you know, basically saved the village and said, we're going to live here. And so they've taken over and there's little notes on there is what, what houses they live in and stuff. And one of them sat there and colored it for me while we were gaming one night. So I've got that campaign and then we play uh, DCC Langmar too. We just kind of swap back and forth between them. So, but, you know, those are fifth and sixth level characters. Those, not, not hard to play that game. Right. So, yeah. So uh, I'll do... Let me sum up. I have this system agnostic uh, booklet. It's called Astral Visions uh, or Astral Vision. I think actually is that what it's going to be. And then, um, and then I have this. I, I have the next uh, Smoking Worm, and then, uh, and then I've got projects after that. But, um, but that's the first part of the year. I don't. Know yeah, exactly. and that's what's hard. I mean, I, I, you know, we talked before. I've got a number of things going on. I just don't know. It's hard for me to know what's. Which which is going to get completed first? I mean, it's just um, yeah. it's it's um, it's kind of tricksy. It is, and and you know, so I've got a project, a bigger project that I've been working on, that I kind of loosely call Filthy Skies, um, and it comes from it's a Shakespeare quote that there's so much in the in the heavens and everything, and those filthy skies. There's a lot up there, but you don't normally see it, and um, and so. It's kind of a like a love letter to 
Spelljammer and but Spelljammer didn't spend much time in the atmosphere. They were in space. And so this is exploring the boundary layers of a planet and um, and everything. And so that there's a big project there. I don't know. How, and the real question I have is the form, form it's going to take. Will it take a series of, you know, is it going to be a, a zine? I don't know. I haven't decided how it's going to look yet. And it, it needs more writing for me to get to that point where I can figure out what the... And this is what and that, I think it's it's a good thing you point out because I was planning doing uh, I do have a science fiction um, project coming along, and I originally thought about doing a zine, and then it started expanding out, and I thought, well, I'll do a six by nine inch digest size. Mm-hmm. Then I did the I did the digest size, I'm like wow, I like doubled the price. The digest size on Mixum is. No difference in price than an eight and a half by eleven, and the reason is is the paper. I figured they're trimming it, but I'm just saying is I I would have not have I would assume that I would not have I would have guessed that six by nine was such a common format that that it wouldn't be that way. But it they're so if you're if you're going to do six unless you very specifically need six by nine, you're better off going eight and a half by eleven. You are. And so that's where that five and a half by eight, you know, I, I do five by eight. Five by eight fits nicely on a, on, a, on a normal sheet of paper. And so six by nine, if you think about it, what is it? Well, it's six wide and nine high. So nine, uh, it's 12, it's actually 12 by nine. That's bigger than a, you know, it, it's just such an odd thing. Cutting it out, you got to go to an 11 by 17 sheet of paper and you got to cut it. And so you're custom cutting paper to print a six by nine. And, um, you know, some people that, you know, Mixam is one of the people who can't find a cost, a cost of uh, savings for that. Right. So. And and I think that's just it. So what's happening is, is just taking as many sheets and just, you're just leaving it on the floor. Um, <laughs> when you're buying a six by nine, but yeah. oddly enough, I've got another person that's been doing work. Uh, me on this and i kind of charged him with doing a thing and because of him being not me and he did this thing and now it forced it caused me to recalibrate the whole thing in a different way and i kind of told him you know i want you to do this thing and however you do it it's probably going to restructure everything and because of that and it's like okay back to a zine but it's going to be two zines. Uh, now, now I know how to divide this thing up. I've, I got the structure. I just couldn't figure out the structure. Um, yeah. And that's and, what's and hard. That's what I'm looking at is, is I really don't like the idea. I, I like the idea of having a book in the, at some level, but I also like the idea of almost traveler style, maybe having a box set with like three books in it or something like a starter box and then adding, you know, copies as I, you know, extra zine sized things as I go. So um, that might be the structure that I go for is the initial product will be a box with a zine in, with zines in it. And then everything else will be additional pieces that you add in. Um, I certainly like the little, the original traveler format. So. Yeah, it works so well. It really does. Yeah. And, um, and then it, and it also the 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 real genius is not just that it it was in those booklets. I'm sure it was all everything that was done, at least originally, was for cost. Uh, that was that drove every decision. But um, 
but the economy of words, the economy of the system to reduce a, a fairly complex series of different systems together in a cohesive unit that works and is readable in that short amount of space is absolutely astounding. Yeah. Like you can do it all. You can you can generate worlds, generate systems, you can generate NPCs, you can generate creatures, you can you got trade, you've got build starship. I mean, like, I don't know how I packed it all in there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's impressive. And so um so so I, I'm kind of I, I like I think I told you that I bought last time I was at Gary Con, I bought a yeah. I bought a traveler box set up at Noble Knight. And um and I've been looking at it over time trying to trying to think about you know maybe that's the way i need to go so um, yeah i i it's um yeah i think it'd be some uh food for thought as well but i think we're in the time space continuum because uh, i think we could, we could go on round two but uh it's <laughs> not a problem jeff not a problem so you can only do so many three hours uh um oh, in a month so that was insane that was insane. <laughs> but it was good, you know. I, I, I don't know if I told you, but I, I listen to RPG ramblings while I'm doing chores. Yeah. And um, and so it's nice. And so that three hours was great because it got me through a whole week, um, you know, like 20 and 30 minute blocks. Oh, and, good. And, and everything. So so it's uh, it's kind of like having a morning, uh, uh, you know, radio show or something to listen to. Well, and the thing is, it really did ramble because we, we got to a certain point. I... I Zending the show, I just keep I just keep it going, and then but when I went back to I couldn't find I couldn't find that division. I kept scrubbing trying to find that spot, and I couldn't. But then I realized there's also stuff that we talked about that was still we went back into talking about publishing, and so it's like you know I thought well I'll just it is what it is. <laughs> it's, it is what it is, <laughs> and I, and I like that that's the power of the format, right? Yeah. So I mean, it really is supposed to be a ramble i mean we certainly started on a different topic although we we kind of had a theme of kickstarter throughout so um yeah we did and uh maybe next time we could talk about our our uh, little black books that are put in boxes and and uh, are doing well on kickstarter hopefully so hopefully so <laughs> all right well that sounds great um you know we will uh, we can pick up whatever we want excellent thanks trevor no problem Jeff. 